I went to the first class and the instructor, she says to me, did you do the class? And I said, I had a good time, but I really need to know where you get these shoes. They're beautiful. These tango shoes, I've never seen them before. She says, oh, well, they're imported from Argentina and um, you should probably wait until you're sure about the dance before you go in, invest in expensive shoes. And I was like, lady, just tell me where to get the shoes. I don't care if I ever dance tango again, but I stuck with the dance and I literally never stopped. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, a podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. This podcast explores living abroad as a pathway to wellness for Black women and wellness in all aspects, professional, financial, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical. Welcome back to the show. If you're new, hi, I'm Christine. I am a Black American expat trying to thrive trying to thrive here in Barcelona. And I am the host, creator, producer, and everythinger of this here podcast. This podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And that's why I'm asking you to support this podcast. There are several ways for you to support Flourish in the Foreign. Number one, Become a Patreon supporter of this podcast by going to www.patreon.com slash flourishforeign. Shout out to our latest Patreon supporter, L Smith. Thank you so much, L Smith. Appreciate you for supporting this here podcast. Number two, you can cash app the podcast at dollar sign flourishforeign. Cash App is kind of like a tip jar. If you listen to an episode that really resonates with you, provides great information, or just entertains the heck out of you, you can go ahead and slip the podcast a couple bucks, just like that. Number three, you can place an ad or sponsor an entire episode of the podcast. If you have a business or service that's in alignment with this podcast, go ahead to the Flourish in the Foreign website www.flourishintheforeign.com and go to the contact page, drop me a line, and we can discuss how your business and service can be promoted on this here podcast. Number four, make sure that you are sharing this podcast high and low, that once you listen to the podcast, that you're sharing an episode that particularly resonated with you with at least three other people. Be sure to share the podcast on social media. Definitely tag the podcast at Flourish Foreign across all social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'll definitely repost. So definitely show love that way. Also, rate the podcast five stars, leave a review, and subscribe. Yes, please share. This is a podcast that helps Black women to share their stories of living abroad, but also help Black women to see themselves abroad and 
if you're interested in moving abroad, these are the stories that you want to hear. You want to hear about Black women's experiences out here in the world. All right, that's it for the support portion of this show. On to the next story. Today's story features Jamila and Jamila's story of living abroad is like out of a movie to me. It really is. It is so amazing. And I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Jamila. I am definitely over 35 and I live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I'm originally from Ponca City, Oklahoma. I moved to Argentina in 2012. I think I had a pretty normal childhood. I'm, I, most people have never heard of Ponca City, Oklahoma, and it makes sense. It's kind of a small town in the northern part of Oklahoma. I would have said it was boring. I think that might have been by my parents' design. And I was always interested in travel, but I never really thought about living outside of the United States. Although I think in high school, I did apply to a study abroad thing in Africa. And I remember my father not really being excited about that idea. I don't know why, but I didn't get in anyway. So that was that. I went to school at Xavier University, New Orleans, an HBCU. It was really great for me. I had a lot of fun in New Orleans. I did not study abroad during college at all. I studied psychology. I was on a kind of a straightforward track. I went to graduate school in Fort Lauderdale to obtain my, my doctorate degree at the Southeastern University. That was a five-year program. While I was in Fort Lauderdale, I met my ex-husband, and right before we met, he had enlisted in the Navy. We kind of had this, I wouldn't say whirlwind, but it was definitely a relationship that was definitely always bound by him being in the Navy and his starting his career into the military. And after He was originally stationed in Florida, and then he got his first official station in the military, and that was in England, and not London, to my great sadness, but in a small town in the south of England, in Cornwall. I asked Jamila, where exactly was Cornwall, and... What was it like living there? Cornwall is quaint and beautiful and far away from London, like four hours by train. There were good things and bad things. The community on the base was great. I made a lot of really good friends. The city is called Newquay, and Cornwall is a county. And it's cute. It's very picturesque, hilly mountains with sheep on them. And you're right on the coast and at the edge of England. And the the water is beautiful. It's cold. That was sad. But the beaches and the mountains falling into the water were really pretty. The city itself was just small. Um, There wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't a lot of activities or 
cultural events. I mean, there were things around in other villages nearby that we could go, and I did a lot of like nature walks and went to a lot of plays. At the end, um, there's a place called Land's End, which is literally at the end of um, Cornwall. There is an outdoor amphitheater right on the edge of this cliff looking out into the ocean, and they do open-air plays there, and it's really beautiful. There was stuff like that to do, but not, you know, very much. So I had a good time, but I don't think I would have picked Cornwall or Nuki to live in. I wanted to know how Jamila's life progressed after she returned from Cornwall. After Cornwall, I went back to the United States because I had to finish my dissertation and defend and to do my internship. I went back and I moved to New York and I was on Long Island and I did a year-long internship program there. And then after that, we moved to Seattle and I did a postdoc at the Children's Hospital. And that's where my relationship with him ended. So as Jamila's marriage ends, she finds solace in an unexpected new hobby. After my separation, I was not in the best of moods uh, in general, just kind of feeling sorry and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life or what I was supposed to do. When I was in Seattle, which I'm not from, obviously, and I was still working at my postdoc and just kind of talking to my friends about what do I want to do? How am I going to spend my free time? And I remember very clearly talking to one of my friends and her saying, oh, you just have to get out and, you know, get a new hobby or do something. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And um, I'm driving in my car, literally talking to my good friend, Joy. And I see this sign on the side of a building and it says, learn to tango. And I say, Joy, the sign says I should learn to tango. And she was like, oh, yeah, you should. You're going to be on Dancing with the Stars. It's going to be great. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. And I was driving. So I told her the phone number and she sent it to me by text. And when I got to my office, I called the number and that was a Monday. And they said, oh, the class starts on Thursday and you can come in. And I was like, okay. And it was a five week class. And I went and I loved it from the very beginning. I went to the first class and after the first class, the instructor, she says to me, would you like the class? What did you think about it? Are you going to come back next week? And I said, oh, yes, of course. I'm, well, I'd already paid, but yeah, I'm coming back. I had a good time. And I said to her, but I really need to know where you get these shoes. They're beautiful. These tangle shoes, I've never seen them before. She says, oh, well, they're imported from Argentina and um, you should probably wait until you're sure about the dance before you go and in, invest in expensive shoes. And I was like, lady, you don't, you don't know me at all. <laughs> I just want the shoes. <laughs> just tell me where to get the shoes. But I couldn't buy the shoes. They were from Argentina, but I stuck with the dance and I literally never stopped a year into my life in Seattle. I was very much addicted to tango, people who dance tango get. I had traveled 
to Argentina one time and I had spent a month in Buenos Aires and I had had an amazing time and that trip was the first time that I had ever traveled solo. It was really big for me for a lot of reasons but it really opened the idea to solo travel for me and how amazing it was just the opportunity to literally do whatever I wanted at any time and to not had to compromise at all or to work in other people's schedule. And I basically just did all things tango all night long and slept all day and drank all the wine. And I had an amazing time. So I think Buenos Aires really captured my heart in that first trip. That first time I had traveled to Buenos Aires, I took a month off of work to travel to Buenos Aires. It was the first time I had taken that much time off of work. And my family was very concerned. I mean, I worked for myself. I'm self-employed. But uh, there was a lot of concern about my career and why would I need to take off so much time from work? In my mind, it was just like I'm paying a lot for these plane tickets and I'm not going to just go all the way to South America for two weeks. But when I got to Buenos Aires, I thought I was doing something huge by taking off a month. And I met people that had been traveling for six months, a year, people that didn't have a timeline for how long they had been traveling. And I was like, whoa, there are other options. You don't have to just take your two weeks of vacation. I don't know. I just had never, I never met anybody had done anything like that. You know, people that were traveling around the world, people that had come to Buenos Aires to stay for six, nine, 12 months, had taken time off of their work, put their other careers on pause. And so to me, it was super eye-opening. So Jamila has fallen hard for tango and Argentina. And I asked her, how did she come to live in Buenos Aires? I was thinking that I was going to work really hard and save up money and then go back for three months this time. That was my whole goal. I'll go back for three months next time, and then I'll come back and work, and then I'll go back for three months, or I'll go somewhere else. I was mostly thinking about going to Buenos Aires at that time because I had really loved that trip. And I was telling my friends in the tango scene that that was my goal. And and then one day, we were at a milonga, which is where you go to dance tango, and my friend, who's from Buenos Aires, he said to me, Mila... My wife and I have a, a business proposition for you. I want to talk to you about it. And I was like, yeah, of course. And I, at the time, I was hopeful that they were going to ask me to sell shoes, <laughs> the tango shoes, because I love them. I love shoes. But when he came over to talk to me, he said, we have this house in Buenos Aires that we own, but we can't sell because of the economy there. And we were thinking that we'd like to turn it into a tango house. Tango house is a guest house for tango dancers, basically. A lot of people you know, go to Buenos Aires, stay for a significant amount of time, and don't want to stay in a hotel. They want to live there, but with other people. Tango house kind of feels that niche market. And he was saying, and we want to turn it into a tango house, but 
we're here. They had a young daughter at, it, at the time. We don't want to go back to Buenos Aires yet, but we knew that you wanted to go. And we were thinking that you would be a really good match to kind of live in the house and take care of it for us. And I was like, yes, yes, I'll go. And then I thought, oh, I have to give notice at work because I had been working for myself, but just recently in the plan to save up money, I had taken on this additional contract with this school. And then I was, oh, I have to give notice. I, I can't go yet. And he was like, I don't mean today. I mean, in the future soon. And I was, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm down. Just tell me when I can leave. And that was February, the middle of February. And I started the process of closing my life in Seattle and sold everything. Not everything. I put a lot of stuff in storage, sold my car, closed my practice. I got out of my lease and I booked a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires and I left on August 25th, the day before my birthday, eight years now. I asked Jamila to describe to me what her life was like right before she left for Argentina and how she felt that moment when she landed in Argentina to live for at least a year. The day I left, I remember being tired uh, excited. I mean, I had uh, the selling of my car had had ended up being more complicated than I had wanted. And I think that was kind of the last big thing that I was working on. Those last few days, I just remember running around and trying to decide what to do. And I remember calling Patricio and saying, do I need to bring pots and pans? What do I need to pack? And and him being, you're not going camping to me. It's a city. They have pots and pans here. And I was like, okay, right. I don't need pots and pans. What am I packing? And how do you pack for a year living in a foreign country? I just didn't know what to pack. I obviously, I packed all my tango shoes and clothes and some random stuff. The last days were just kind of this hectic. What am I doing? What do I do? How do I do this? How can I get all these things to fit in these suitcases? Then when I arrived, I mean, it's a long flight, but I was super excited. It's the day before my birthday. I go to this house and at the time I had not seen the house at all. I had an address and some directions to give to the, the taxi. And I remember getting out of the car and the house is in the middle of downtown Buenos Aires. And so immediately before I left to come to Buenos Aires, I was in, in Oklahoma visiting my family. So it was a, a very strong contrast um, to be in the middle of this city and all these cars and the people speaking in Spanish. And I didn't speak any Spanish and kind of being overwhelmed and, and ringing the doorbell and just standing there on the side of the street waiting for Patricia to come down and get me and just being really excited and wow this is my new house and I've not seen the inside of it yet. Seattle, Buenos Aires, two completely different cities to say the least. I asked Jamila what was it like living in Buenos Aires 
that first year? In the first year, so many ups and downs. Patricio stayed for about a month, I guess, fixing the house. Actually, when I arrived, he was renovating the house. There was a lot that wasn't finished. That was a little crazy. We had, we both had uh, lamps that we would take because the house didn't have any ceiling lights. We would have these lamps that we would take individually from room to room and you would just plug it in whichever room you were in to use but that first month all I did was dance I went out at night I did have some friends that ended up being in the city the same time and I connected with them and and I was just out every night dancing all night and then I would come home and sleep until like noon and then I would wake up and Patricia would be like look I installed lights I'd be like great I, I want to eat and then I'd go out dancing I'd come back and he'd be like, look I painted walls I'd be like good there was a lot of confusion just about how things work here about exchanging money about getting around on the bus I got lost the bus system is really good here but because it's really good, it's really complicated. They go everywhere. There's a million different ones. There's not really a time system for the buses. You go to the bus stop and wait for a bus to show up. You have to find the bus stops. They, they're better now, but they definitely were not well marked. Or You just kind of had to know. You would go to this corner and then just ask people, where should I stand if I want to get on the bus? There was a lot of adjustment to that sort of stuff, just kind of getting used to the chaos that was entertaining and stressful at times, but it wasn't ever bad. I mean, there are some things that you're just very, you're reminded very clearly that you're not in the United States. For example, in the summertime, when it's really hot, there are sometimes rolling blackouts, right? And the electricity just goes out in large parts of the city for an amount of time. And so Patricio had already gone home and I was in contact with his sister who lives in a different part of the city, kind of as my touch base for any emergencies. And our electricity went out and I was like, okay, maybe it's just a couple of hours, but it didn't come back on overnight. And so I called his sister and I said, the electricity went out. Can you call the electricity company? And she said, well, first we have to find out if it's out in the rest of the block. And I went, looked outside and I said, yes. And she said, okay, well, we just have to wait. And I was like, we're not going to call the electricity company? No, I mean, it's Wednesday. If it doesn't come on by Friday, I will see if they post anything. And I was like, Friday? Why would we wait until Friday for electricity? That doesn't make any sense. Like, can't we just call them? And then she was like, oh yeah, but Friday's a holiday. Maybe they probably won't. They'll, it'll probably be on by Monday. It's it's Wednesday. I don't I don't understand how this is. We just nobody and everybody was calm. I was asking or trying to ask the other people in the the building, and they were like, "Yeah, that's just 
it's a holiday on Friday. The electricity people, they probably won't come out. And it just didn't make any sense to me, like that kind of stuff. And that everybody was calm about it. And we did. We waited till Monday for there to be electricity. It's the kind of those adjustment that you make to a, the city or how it's run or how things are done that are hard. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you feel like the crazy one for being like, this isn't normal. Why are we waiting? Why are we just, okay, we don't have electricity in the whole block until Monday, maybe. Because I don't know. I still get confused by those things, but I've learned to not question them as much. When I had originally made the arrangement with Patricia, we had arranged on a year, and the year had passed, and I knew it because it was around my birthday, but I wasn't even thinking about it. And he wrote to me to kind of check in and say, well, what do you think we want to do? And, and I had literally given no thought to leaving at the end of the year, you know, like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm staying in this house. I don't know where you think I'm going. I don't know about any of y'all, but I didn't know that much about tango before I spoke with Jamila. And I definitely didn't know anything about a tango guest house. So I asked her to describe what's it like running a tango guest house? It's entertaining. Yeah, entertaining is the word. Tango dancers, they're definitely special people. And people come to Buenos Aires and they're definitely trying to immerse themselves. They're usually staying for at least three weeks, sometimes three or four months. So it's always super interesting. There's people from all over the world coming. I've met friends from literally every part of the world from when they stayed in the house. And so, I mean, the day-to-day -day stuff is very much just running kind of an Airbnb. You're waiting for people to arrive. You are getting them settled, giving them their keys, telling them where to go buy groceries. But on the other hand, there is this part because I lived in the house as well, and I was also a tango dancer, and I kind of found myself playing part dorm mom and part tourist night guide. And so, and tango dancers are late night people. Tango is a kind of a late night sport. We kind of had an unwritten quiet time in the house until about noon when people start to wake up and the evenings were spent kind of getting our stuff together and then we eat dinner together probably around 10 in the evening and then get ready and all leave the house around 11 or 12 to go dancing. It was always new people coming into town and I think people that live in kind of touristy places. Every time someone new comes, you kind of get to see the city through their eyes again. You get to do it all over again. I went out dancing every night, all night for, I don't know, three months before I should take a break like and stay home at night. Sometimes the, the milongas would end at four or five in the morning and people they would not be tired. And as a group, we would invite people over to the house and it'd be, we definitely got in trouble a couple of times for that. 30 people would come over to my house to kind of continue the night at five or six in the morning. There are a lot of fun stories. That's what I'll say. 
I asked Jamila to talk about her tango business. Another thing that kind of fell into my lap is this tango business, Buenos Aires Milonga Tours. It's basically a boutique tour company focused around tango and giving people that travel to Buenos Aires a more realistic tango experience. A lot of people come to Buenos Aires as just a place in South America that you want to try. A lot of people come to the city, spend maybe a week here and spend some time in Brazil. And they're not really coming to Buenos Aires with the intention to immerse themselves in tango, but they want to know something about tango and kind of experience it. The problem with what happens is if you're in a hotel and you ask the concierge about tango, they're probably just going to send you to a tango show. And tango shows are great. I have friends that work in tango shows, but tango shows are basically Broadway productions of tango. You sit in an audience with your drinks and you watch people dance on stage. And they are highly trained dancers and they are amazing and beautiful, but you don't get to experience tango. And what I was feeling is that a lot of people come and they go to the show and then they see these dancers that have been dancing for 20 years. They're all tall and thin and beautiful and can do the splits and put their legs behind their head. And 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 then people are like, well, tango is a, it's like acrobatics. It's a thing I can't do. And there's nothing further from the truth. Tango, the, the dance, the culture of tango is very much a dance for all people and all bodies and is not what you necessarily see on Dancing with the Stars. What my company does is we offer bespoke tours where I can bring in, I have a teacher um, that I work with, and sometimes I teach the classes as well. We can do private, single people up to company groups. We've done events for companies that were having meetings here and wanted to to organize something for their team. We provide classes. We can take you to a milongas. A milongas, a nightclub, but that they only dance tango. <laughs> and you you go with dancers. You go and sit at the table with me and my friends from all over the world, from Argentina, and kind of be more in the experience of what it is to be part of the tango culture. We talk about historical information about the codes and rules and which there are lots of, of the milonga about music. What I try to do is give you a more authentic experience of what tango is more than just what you would see performed on Dancing with the Stars, more than what you would just see dancing in a show. I asked Jamila to share what her experience has been being a Black woman in Buenos Aires. My experience actually has been pretty good. I do think that Buenos Aires has its history, as most people know. I think all places in South North America have its history with Black people. But from the time when I moved here to now, I've definitely seen a much bigger kind of Black or African diaspora 
presence in the city, but there's just not a lot of Black people in Buenos Aires. So it definitely is a thing that I stand out. And just that kind of constant feeling like people are watching you, but not necessarily in a bad way. It was just, they just had never seen a Black person in real life before, and they just were just amazed. And I spoke English, so I literally had just come out of a TV show to them. And Argentina people, they're not shy about staring at people anyway. I mean, I guess you get used to it in, in its own way. I always say I had the funniest time. I was in this little grocery store, and this guy, we were kind of talking really bad Spanish and English. Why? What are you doing here? Where you, what do you do here? And I was like, I live around the corner. Oh, where are you from? I'm from the United States. Oh, you like basket. I'm like, basket? Basket. You know Michael Jordan. Ah, okay, yeah. I like basketball. Sure. Do you know Michael Jordan? No, no, I don't. No, I don't know Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah, basket. I like basket. Great. He said, do you like Daddy Shanky? Daddy Shanky. Daddy Shanky. I was like, I don't know. He he performs here. He's a rapper. Oh, oh, Daddy Yankee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like Daddy Yankee. Sure. I was like, okay, well, I have to go. And he was like, okay, say hello to Daddy Yankee for me. It's like, okay, bye. He was super nice. He just thought I I knew these people from the United States, the two people that he knew of or that he could make that connection. One time I, w- I wasn't in Buenos Aires at the time. I was traveling with some friends to Cordoba, which is kind of in the north of Argentina. And we were at a bus station And I see this little boy, he was probably eight or nine, kind of staring in amazement at me and talking to his mom about me. And at some moment, the little boy comes over to me and he was like, again, this isn't Spanish, but I'm just translate the conversation. Will you take a photo with me? I said, "Um, excuse me? And he says, well, but can I have a photo? And I was like, you want me to take a photo of you? And he was like, no, I want a photo with you. And I was like, why? Why? And he was like, I don't know, but my mom said if I wanted a photo, I had to ask. And I was like, fair. Okay, let's take a photo then, I guess. Come on, little boy. And he was just so happy. (laughs) He was like, Mom, she said yes. She said she'll take the photo. Great. Good. (laughs) Let's take the photo. He was saying, thank you. And I was like, you're welcome. I don't know what this, I don't know what he, who he thought I was or if he even thought I was anybody. But like I said, I feel like I had this kind of feeling like they were all expecting me to be their favorite character from TV show.
to represent all black people that they had ever seen on TV, which obviously has its good and bad points, as we know about kind of how black women are portrayed on television and in movies that we export for other people. I feel like you can really tell when that is the only kind of information that people have about you or about your culture. For the most part, it's a lot of curiosity and some, I would say, some stereotypes, not all negative ones, just general stereotypes. I get a lot of people asking me to sing for them. (laughs) A lot of Black women have beautiful voices. That is true. I'm not one of them. I don't sing in there, but yes, of course you sing. Oh my God, it's so silly. I went to a blues event, right? And they had a girl there that was singing and um, she did great. She sang some classic blues and jazz music. And then I was standing there and after she sang, it was just it's a small venue. She was walking by and since she was the performer. I said to her, thank you. That was really great. You did a great job. Something to that effect, just because we had made a contact and she was like, Oh my God, you think so? And I was like, yeah, I thought you you did great. And she was like, oh, that's so important to me because this is your music. And if you think I did a good job, (laughs) okay, it's not that, it wasn't that deep. I just thought you were a nice singer. Thanks, you can go now. And I really want to make sure, you know, and I felt like it meant so much to her that I, as a Black person, had approved her singing of our music. She was super excited. I kind of think of those things as silly. I definitely have had instances of that definitely yelled at people on public buses for trying to touch my hair. That's a thing. I don't know. I think a lot of people that have lived in other cultures have had that problem and had stern talking to drunk girls in bars about touching my hair and stuff like that. That kind of stuff obviously goes along with it as well. I asked Jamila, what was dating like in the tango capital of the world? Oh, dating. That's fun. I feel like the men here are interesting. There is a word they use, dedico, which kind of, I think, accurately represents all of the dating culture in Buenos Aires or in Argentina. And it's this kind of game I think that everybody has agreed to play where there's just a lot of unnecessary drama in relationships. I do think the men as compared to the United States are more in touch with their feelings for better or worse. You hear about them there and their feelings a lot and how they feel about everything. And so I just feel like there's like a lot of this kind of drama, this going back and forth that you kind of have to engage in. I think it's just a cultural kind of game that you play in dating. I think as a Black woman, there is the shadow of how Black women are represented on TV or in music culture that you do have to pay attention to, especially when you're, you know, first meeting people. I definitely have met some wonderful men here um, and that I've had great relationships with. 
but definitely run into guys that it felt like they were just wanting to see to try it out because they had only seen it on TV or wherever they were watching, maybe on their computers, trying to discern that when you're first meeting someone, if you're interested in them and how you feel about that personally, I realize that I am different, that I am unique, that I do stand out, that technically could classify me as exotic in this culture. And so there's going to be some of that. But then I think I also am mindful of not wanting to be fetishized either. I think there's a balance to that. I always feel like I'm I kind of always playing here. I think I, it's gotten better as I've been here longer, as my Spanish gets better, my ability to kind of weed that out from the beginning. I asked Jamila if she felt that the politics of Argentina affected her day-to-day life. I guess the main way that politics affects expats here is money. In the Argentinian peso and its relation to the dollar. It's super complicated. If you have followed anything about Argentina, that their economy is not the best. They have a history of economic instability. And the value of the money here is volatile and changes all the time widely. So when I arrived in Argentina, there was, and there has almost always been, kind of two exchange rates. The official exchange rate that like the government sets, and then the blue dollar, the exchange rate that the people set. Basically, there's an exchange rate you can get at a bank, and there's an exchange rate that you can get at, on the street. They were always different, and the exchange rate that you get on the street is historically better for dollars. When I first moved here, let's say the official exchange rate was five to one. Right. If I gave you one U.S. dollar, I would get five pesos. And the the blue dollar, the unofficial rate, was eight to one. If I gave you a dollar, I would get eight pesos. Okay. Let's fast forward to now, where the official exchange rate, I think it's sixty-five to one. I give you a dollar, I get sixty-five pesos. And the unofficial rate at last I checked was 120 something. I give you a dollar and I get 120 pesos. That's big difference. That's it's eight years, yes, but it's a huge difference. There's two parts, right? There's the inflation or the, the lowering of the value of the peso and the relative value of the peso to the dollar. Before it was a three peso split between the official and unofficial. And now there's 60 pesos split between, at the minimum, 60 pesos split between what you would get if I walked into a bank with my $1 and what I would get if I go on the street with my $1. It's a huge difference and that changes every day. So I think the money thing is definitely related to politics. There's always a big jump in the money and the exchange rate and um, things like that when um, there's a new president or right after an election. 
and and you kind of have to wait and kind of see what the new rules are going to be. And it's kind of this constant adjustment to money, even the bus, the, the price to go on the bus changes so often. And at first, I would sometimes think the bus drivers were trying to cheat me because I would go one day and it would, the price of the bus would be like five pesos. And then the next day I would get on the bus to take the same route and he'd be like, that's eight pesos. And I'd be like, what? Why is it eight pesos? And he'd be like, because the price went up. And literally these things happen overnight or multiple times in a week. The prices of food is always changing. And so at the beginning, I was always like, am I being cheated? Are they just giving me this crazy price because they know I'm not from here because my Spanish is bad or has the price actually changed again and more often than not it was the prices of things had changed that's still happening I'm always interested in learning about how countries all over the world handle healthcare I asked Jamila to describe the Argentinian healthcare system and to share her impressions of the system they have free healthcare it's available to everybody, even if you're here on a tourist visa. I think they would prefer for you to not use the free health care if you're here on a tourist visa, but they're not going to turn you away. And I think that's fair. But I think, as I've seen with a lot of places that have free health care, it takes a lot of time sometimes to get appointments. If you want to go through the free system, you have to get up early and go get in line and literally just wait in line to see a doctor. No, sorry, let's be honest. You wait in line a long time to see a person at a desk in which you tell them what's wrong with you and then they give you a number to go wait in another long line to see a doctor who will talk to you for just a few seconds and give you an appointment hopefully, or just a number to wait in another long line. And so it's free, but it literally could be your whole day or several days to kind of get something seen if it's not an emergency. But they also have private insurance, which you can pay for, which I think most people that have steady incomes do. And I find them to be affordable, especially from the United States, probably pay like, I guess the equivalent of $100 or $150 a month for basically full coverage, which means I don't have to wait in long lines and I can schedule appointments and just go in and get someone talked to. There's no copay. It covers a wide variety of things, dentist and eye, all of that for the amount that I would have been paying my deductible or even part of my co-pays in the U.S. Even if you don't want to buy the insurance monthly, you, most people or most other expats that I know, they just pay for the doctor out of pocket. If you get sick and you want to go to an urgent care clinic and get checked out, you just show up and pay maybe $30. And maybe if you have to end up getting an x-ray or something, if the whole price maybe is 50, 70 bucks and you can just walk in. I think it's 
way more affordable than the U.S. Overall, pretty good. I'm not saying that the free healthcare system is bad. I'm saying that I don't have the patience for the lines and the wait. But I do think it's a really good system. Jamila is a psychologist, and I was interested in learning how she manages her practice while living abroad. As a clinical psychologist, I mostly focused on children and adolescents when I was in Seattle. Now my practice is more generally focused with adults and teens. It's been a slow build, and from the time that I decided to come here, it kind of had been my dream to create and like manage this practice this type of a practice but it wasn't really possible in the beginning with i mean it's complicated like laws in the united states as far as telemental health the problem is that insurance companies weren't accepting it as a thing 10 years ago and in the united states most people if they want to do things like therapy, they want it to be covered by their insurance or that they only have to pay, okay, which I absolutely understand. I mean, because what's the point of paying insurance if you can't use it? But when I first came here, the insurance weren't accepting telemental health. And that has been a long wait. And I did a lot of other things. I did some consultation work when I first arrived. I did some supervision work where I was supervising interns online, consulting with them to kind of maintain that connection. And sometimes I didn't work within psychology at all, just because it was kind of hard to make consistent income when I couldn't do that. But now things are changing and the laws have changed and telemental health has changed in the last three or four years. It's definitely become more popular. Insurance companies have accepted it as obviously a valid form of therapy and they are reimbursing or covering it. And so there's been a lot of companies that have sprung up around that need. Now we're in this time of social distancing and people working from home and the COVID pandemic. And I hope that it will continue in this way. So now it's much better. And I, I work with a number of different companies that I contract with to provide for clients. That's great. And I'm super excited about it. And it's just, it's kind of ever since I learned that it was a thing, it, it definitely resonated with me as the ability to be where I wanted to be in the world and do the work that I wanted to do. As you all know, this podcast centers wellness and living abroad as a pathway to wellness, and that includes mental wellness. And so I asked Jamila, as a therapist, how should we all go about finding a therapist abroad? I would say that if you're living abroad, I think that you should first take a look in your local community. There may be some English speaking therapists available if that's something you want. But right now, with the ability to have telemental health and online therapy is so prevalent, there's many different agencies that you can look to that can give you referrals or connect you directly with therapists 
And if you are interested in having an African-American or a Black therapist, don't be afraid to say that when you give the information, especially if you're going through a company that will assign you a therapist. They are willing to try to work with you on that. And we are out there. There are several online websites that you can look for referrals and things like that. But I would definitely recommend if you're wanting to speak with someone in English, if you're wanting to talk to someone that knows more about your your cultural reference points and things like that, that you definitely look into online therapy because I think it's a great way to kind of have that connection or connect with someone that understands the things that you need. Be truthful with yourself about what you need. I mean, I think that is the same overall, whether you're abroad or not. Take time to check in with yourself and whatever you feel you need, don't be afraid to ask for that or to work towards that. And and in more general sense, I would say keep the connections with your friends and family in the States, people that understand you, that have known you, that you can go back with. Try to connect with them consistently, whether even if you're not able to visit them, we have many ways to be in touch with people nowadays. Don't let those connections completely drop away, but get out and try to connect with people in your new community. I think it's really important if you choose a country to live in that you don't live in isolation, that you try to connect, find a group, a community. I was very lucky that I have Tango and that kind of comes with a built-in group of people that I was able to connect with, but there are other options out there and you can go and look for those. Try to look at the good and bad of your, your chosen destination. I think all cities have good and bad points, um, but there's a reason that you just, you decided to be there. And even in those days that you are frustrated because there are still days that the entire E of Argentina or Buenos Aires frustrates me and how things are run or how I have to do things to get things accomplished. I always go back to the things I love about this city and why I'm still here. So just any kind of other relationship, it has its good and bad. But for me, the good outweighs the bad and that's why I'm still here. I asked Jamila where she sees herself in the foreseeable future? Argentina or somewhere else? I have no plans, which probably means that I see myself in Argentina. Funny enough, this year, I was thinking that I wanted to travel more. I had been doing a lot of kind of establishing the last couple of my years, just spending a lot of time in Buenos Aires, traveling around Argentina, enjoying that a lot. But I had been thinking that I would like to spend some more time traveling to other parts of South America and just traveling in general, definitely with Argentina as my home base. And I had kind of started the year in that mindset. 
2020 had other plans for travel, but I feel like that's where I am in the in the near future. Definitely having Buenos Aires as my kind of home base, and do see myself maybe spending more time traveling and visiting other friends in different places. I asked Jamila to describe her definition of wellness and how living abroad has influenced her wellness practice. I think my personal definition of wellness is feeling content and satisfied about where you are and what you're doing every day. I say that with a caveat, of course you're going to have good and bad days. You can't run away from yourself, right? There's going to be good and bad days. But what I'm saying is that when you wake up, or for me, when I wake up here, I don't wish to be somewhere else. I'm happy in my life here. Even the days that I'm frustrated, even the days that I am annoyed, I'm happy that I'm here for the most part and I'm content. And I think that wellness in this way is this this feeling of being content in your life and knowing that you're doing the things that you want to do. I think that's really important. And I think that people should strive for that. If there's something that you are feeling like you're missing every day or feeling that you really want or that you don't have, I think you should work towards that. And for me, it was this kind of work-life balance. I felt in the United States that the balance of my life was not where I wanted to be. I was working more than I was enjoying it. I wasn't able to travel as much. I, there were things I was always for feeling like I was missing out on or feeling like I didn't have enough time for. And one of the main reasons why I'm here, it's the work-life balance. I feel my life is much more in balance. I have time to do all the things that I'm interested in. I can give as much time to tango as I want. I can give as much time to my work as I want. I can choose something else all together and I still have time for all of those things. I don't have to give up one thing to do another. I spend a lot of time in the dance, going out and dancing, just being social and dancing, working within. I have done some kind of a little side business that kind of encapsulates my love of tango as well and able to do all of that and still support myself and that is what I was looking for that is the life that I was kind of trying to create for myself and so I feel I'm very close to exactly how I imagined I wanted my life to be. What a fantastic story. Thank you so much Jamila and if you all want to keep up with Jamila via social media, you can. Buenos Aires Milonga Tours. We are on Facebook, on Instagram under Milonga Tours. I have a Twitter too, but we don't use that one much. But And on the website, Buenos Aires Milonga Tours. But probably the easiest way for people is to look us up maybe on Facebook or on Instagram. Thank you all so much for listening. I truly, truly appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode and if you enjoyed this podcast, please support this podcast via Patreon. 
go to www.patreon.com slash flourishforn. Shout out to all of my Patreons, actually, because we're up to six Patreon supporters. Shout out to you again, L. Smith. Shout out to Joan. Shout out to Kylie. Shout out to Shelly. Shout out to Isabel. And shout out to Siobhan. Thank you all. I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago, once we hit 10 Patreon supporters, I will be dropping a second episode of this here podcast. So two episodes in a week. And let me tell you guys, the season is has booked out. We have amazing, amazing stories to share. We actually have an abundance of stories to share. So we're good going into 2021. So that is fantastic. However, you know, putting on a production of this magnitude, I don't know if you guys know, but I record 90 minute interviews with our guests. I edit it down to an hour show. I do the VO and all the pre-production of, you know, trying to get these ladies to record. It, it, it takes work. So if you are enjoying this podcast, definitely be sure to find a way to support this podcast. Support Black women, support Black women creators. As you guys have noticed, a lot of the women that I've showcased on this show thus far are entrepreneurs in many different ways. And I always give them their shine to talk about their business. And that's just how we roll here. We really elevate Black women here. So if you're in alignment with that, definitely, definitely support this here podcast. You can also tip the podcast via Cash App, dollar sign, Flourish Foreign. And if you're interested in placing an ad or sponsoring an entire episode of the podcast, be sure to go to www.flourishintheforeign.com slash contact and drop me a line. Also, if you identify as a woman of color podcaster, aspiring, or maybe you have been in this game for a minute, definitely be sure to check out the WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership. It is a great membership. I'm a member of it, and it provides really great insights into the many different aspects of podcasting. So whether you are a newbie or an OG, there's something for everyone. You can learn how to optimize your show notes. So if y'all know what I'm talking about, great, you can optimize it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about in your podcasting, you need to go ahead and get this membership. And if you're trying to monetize your podcast or leverage your podcast in a way to promote your thought leadership or anything like that, it's really quite fascinating. There's so many great, great resources in the membership. I have not been able to even scratch the surface, it seems like. So if you're interested in joining the membership, be sure to use the Flourish in the Foreign affiliate link, which is located on the website, www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. Or you can actually go ahead and access it through the link on all the bios of our social media. So any of the social media bios, you can go ahead and click it and it will actually have a link to WOC Podcasters. 
please utilize our affiliate link. It's at no extra cost to you, but supports this here podcast. And thank you to everyone who already has. That has been so cool. So dope. I will see y'all in the WOC Insiders membership. And of course, thank you to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this podcast. Zachary is an exceptional artist and producer. If you need music for your next project, be it a podcast or a video game, yes, he is your guy. I'm going to leave all of his information in the show notes. All right, that is it for this week. Please take care of yourselves and be gentle with yourself. See you next week. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I went in to one of my classes, taught the class, and as I'm exiting the class, it was like the apocalypse. I came outside everything was dark and there were just candles everywhere people with candles candles every singing and chanting there were literally thousands of people on the street and i had no idea this was about to happen and so somebody explained you know they're just protesting against the political prisoners and they want them to come out that kind of thing more than anything it showed me that i'm really not fully a part of society I'm still excluded because nobody sent me a WhatsApp message to say (laughs) there was going to be a protest. I was completely unaware.